Okay, welcome back. We are ready for part three in our ongoing series titled King Hezekiah and the Second Chance People of God. And I'm back here at the barn. I am, I am stoked about continuing the series. Um, I just want to recap just a little bit. Again, I just want to make sure if you've not listened to the series in its entirety thus far, please make sure you go back, listen to the introduction, listen to part one, listen to part two, and be, be sure that you're tracking what I'm presenting in the unfolding of the message within this text, within the idea of being the people of God on the earth, present day expression of God. Just to recap a tiny bit, we looked at just kind of, uh, just the introduction, if you will, of the biblical pattern in Scripture that I said we could have spent hours on, remembering how the pattern of the people of God, not, not the pattern of humanity, but the pattern of God's own people was forgetting, was pursuing their own ways, their own desires, forgetting the ways of God, forgetting who they were, forgetting, of course, most importantly, Yahweh Himself. We looked at how God would send messengers, and the people paid no attention. He would send prophets and the people would not listen. He would send messages time and time and time again. And people would forget. But God always had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. So we looked at the beginning of this series and this specific account of the people of God in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings along the lines of King Hezekiah's reign. We read 2 Chronicles 29 in its entirety, talking about his upbringing, Hezekiah's childhood. And we're not told exactly this is what took place, but we're told about Ahaz, his father who preceded him in the throne of Judah. Yet his mother's name meant Abijah, my father is Yahweh. And I believe, again, I'll reiterate that I believe that played a role in young Hezekiah's life as he thought about what he would do. His brothers and sisters were sacrificed in the fire before false gods by his father. And we talked about how Hezekiah, he inherited a land that was just a disastrous mess. It was in horrible ruins. Spiritually, relationally, their families, they were enslaved by Assyria. They were in captivity in a sense in their own land, surrounded and under the thumb of the Assyrian leaders. I looked into, even just last night a little bit, just the biblical understanding of 
a tribute. Um, they were under tribute to Assyria, to their oppressors. They had to basically pay them to leave them alone. To leave the, the people of Judah, to leave them alone, they had to give them appeasement money and gifts. They had to buy them off, basically. Ruled over as slaves. And you know what? Hezekiah grew up and he saw that. He understood that. And as we know from the things that he did and the patterns that he reinstated, according to men like Solomon, he had known the story of the deliverance of the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. He knew that. And I have to believe that he made that connection that, you know what? At whatever point he realized probably preceding his taking the throne from his father Ahaz, he probably realized we are the same. We are in the same predicament, the same condition, enslaved under the heavy hand of a government that we're not supposed to be a slave to. And we're an idolatrous, rebellious, groaning and grumbling people. And we have idols And we've forgotten the name of Yahweh. And I'm sure he saw those similarities because he was a man who who obviously by his life knew the story of the people of God that came before him. So we see Hezekiah come in. He sends out commands. He calls in the Levites who were not doing their job. They weren't filling their, their task, their role. So he calls them in, consecrate yourselves, clean the house of the Lord, reestablish all of the pieces within the house of the Lord again. We're going to clean house. We're going to undo what my father did. We're going to write some things here. Let's get to work. And he calls the people, the congregation comes. We talked in part two about how The people came and the the whole assembly worshipped the Lord and laid prostrate on the ground. They played instruments and sang songs of worship like they did in the days of David. Playing, it says, the instruments of David. Worship was back on the earth again in the people of God. Because see, at this time, Israel is an idolatrous, rebellious nation too. That's worth noting. So like the people of God that were supposed to be set apart for his own inheritance on the earth had forgotten him. The temple was in ruins. The demonstration of the glory of God on the earth was laying desolate. And I want to continue to make that point, friends, that I believe that is the age in which we live. I believe that this resonates within me and other people I speak with because it's the same thing. We're living the same reality, and for those who are willing to see it, and willing to acknowledge it, and willing to respond either like Hezekiah saying, this cannot be, and or the people who are called out, who say, you know what, you're right, we're coming. We will respond to the call to return. We will bring sacrifices. We will bring Metaphorically, 
our animals. We will bring all we have. And we will return to the house of the Lord as a consecrated set-apart people. We will come. And so I'm convinced it's the same call. I'm convinced it's the same call going out to us today. To return and to remember. To return and to remember. And so today I want to begin part three with moving into furthering the text in Second Chronicles. We're going to pick up in chapter 30. And one thing, one little subheading I want to make and, and kind of make a point through this train of thought and through this lens is I want us to get some, some visuals and some connections of Hezekiah in this particular view as a Messiah figure. Like the, the kind of the, the example of the preceding of the Messiah, excuse me, of the Messiah. And some ways that he acted, the ways he functioned, the things he said and the motivations of his heart of why he did what he did, and not just why, but what he actually did. Because I would say, and I want to propose in light of that thought, Hezekiah as Messiah, he stood in between the people and Yahweh. He was the one who said, hey y'all, this is your condition. Period. You have forgotten your creator. But I don't get hung up there. I'm not going to get so hung up on that that I'm so discouraged that I give up. Instead, I'm calling you I am giving you commands. I'm telling you, I know what we need to do. I know what needs done, and the only thing hindering what needs done and it being done is whether or not you will listen to my commands and my instruction. He called the people back to God's ordinances. He told them bluntly, clearly that they had fallen short and were not in a condition to present themselves rightly clean before God. He revealed their, their rebellion. He revealed their ignorance and their forgetfulness. He called them out. <laughs> he was not worried about how that sounded offensive. He said it. And the most interesting facet within that specifically we're about to get to, in my opinion. 2 Chronicles 30 verse 5, I'm just going to get started. I'm going to have to stop right in, right in a, just a couple verses and explain why I feel this is so important. I do want to point out verse 36 where we wrapped up chapter 29. Because the thing came about suddenly... Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people. Suddenly, the people came. They began the process of consecrating themselves, of setting themselves apart. 
the reformation of what had been lost and forsaken and abandoned, there was a recognition. God has prepared something for us. And so immediately after that, picking up in chapter 30, now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. Why? Since they could not celebrate it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. Thus, the thing was right in the sight of the king and in all the assembly. There are so many things within those four verses. Number one, Hezekiah wrote letters. Why is he writing letters? He's the king of Judah. Can't he just make a decree for the people of Judah? This is what we're doing. This is what we're going to do. It's our nation. It's our problem, right? But Zechariah, excuse me, Hezekiah, he had a broader perspective. He knew who Israel was. He knew that was God's holy hill as, as far as people went. That was God's chosen race, his nation, his possession. And so Hezekiah, in light of that, said, oh, this is way bigger than just us. Sure, we could, we could all honor the Passover as Judah ourselves, but oh gosh, no, this isn't just about us. This is about all of Israel coming. Let's send them letters. And as I began to study this, and I listened to a couple messages of messages of some very wise men teaching on it in great depths, some things started clicking. And some things I'd read this, I'd read this, I'd read this, go back a little bit further, and understand beyond a casual reading about why that was significant. So let's ask ourselves, according to Scripture, and I'm not going to go into all that, I'm going to encourage you to take the time, read Kings and read Chronicles. Read it. Read it from a standpoint of like, what is the truth within it and not just historical text? That your eyes, your inside eyes, might be illuminated to see what is buried within these things should we give ourselves to studying them and understanding the gravity within the historical text. And so just a tiny tiny peek into what was going on and why that was significant. Israel had invaded Judah years previous. So Judah already had the problem with the Assyrians, who they knew at any moment could come in and just wipe them out with ease. But Judah was always under siege from other countries. 
They were just like, they were seen as the ones who are like, we're just going to go and we're just going to have victory. If you go to Judah, you're just going to win. And Israel had come into Judah and had killed many people. And not just many people. We're told in the scriptures that they had killed Hezekiah's brother during one of the invasions by Israel into the land of Judah, the the armies had killed one of Hezekiah's own brothers. Okay? Do we understand, as we think about the Messiah-esque qualities, if you will, of Hezekiah, those people should not have been invited according to his natural perspective and the, the feelings in his heart. Surely he could have justifiably said, hey, uh uh-uh, no way they're coming. They're not coming here. Murderers. They invaded our territory. And then also just think of, you're inviting a nation of people, y'all. To come and celebrate something that has been forgotten and forsaken. And you know they're idolatrous. You know they're a degenerate people who have turned away from the commands of Yahweh. You know their history. They're vile people. Full of gods that you are just running out of your nation. You're eradicating that from your nation yourself under the conviction and unction of being the ones who honor God and reinstate and reestablish His commands and ways and covenant, and you decide to send letter of invitation to the nation that killed your brother and is doing presently all the things that you are working to remove from your land. Do we think about these things? That is who he invited. There's so much more within that. In the eyes and through the viewpoint of the undeserved people, Hezekiah saw, not according to the flesh, not according to his eyes, not according to the pains that were surely in his heart, the things that you and I would probably give ourselves to be like, that's right, there's no way they're coming. I'm not inviting them in. We have to ask ourselves, why are we who say we now are in Christ in the new and living way, new covenant, harsher, harder, standing in more judgment than King Hezekiah in those Old Testament wrath of God days? Vengeance of the Lord. He showed compassion. He extended an invitation to come and remember the Passover again alongside he and his brothers. He and his people. Is that not the invitation we've been given? To come? That Jesus said, man, I, y'all are a mess. You have forgotten your way. 
You've forgotten the commands of Yahweh God. But I'm extending an invitation to come. Come. Remember. It's the same today to you and to me. And to everyone else. But here's the kicker. (laughs) Here's the thing where most people stop, right? The, The wooing of Jesus. He's the door. He's the way. He's calling. He's knocking. Yes, amen. But you know what? And I want to record some stuff about this in days to come, about the differing opinion of Jehoshaphat and how he attempted to win over Israel by being their buddy. And the difference between he and King Hezekiah, who King Hezekiah did all the things we just said. I believe a great depiction of the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, made flesh so that he was that perfect mediator to come and say, Hey, I'm calling you out. You need reconciliation. You need repentance. You need to remember, but here's the thing, y'all, that we have to get and remember and then therefore apply in our own lives and to anyone else that we share these mysteries with. King Hezekiah demonstrated something else, I believe, very strategically precise and necessary and often overlooked. He said, you know what, Israel? We're going to reinstate the Passover. We're going to remember But you know what? We're not coming to beg you to come. We're not sending you gifts. We're not coming and saying, hey, can we just get along? He's saying, you know what? We're going to meet at the house of the Lord. We're going to follow the commands of Yahweh. We are going to meet in His holy sanctuary. And we're going to extol the Lord together for anyone who will come. So if you want to come, come. It's an open invitation. I am sending you a personal letter. All of, nation, all of the nation of Israel, come, join us. But you know what? You're only going to join us if you do what we're doing. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, people. That's your only way in. That's your only way you're going to join us. That's the only way you're getting in to this celebratory time of rejoicing and remembering. We're not coming to hang out and talk about how awesome we are and, and, and anything else, our accomplishments, nothing. It's all around the Passover remembrance and ordinance. So if you want to be a people who come and remember and worship with consecrated, set-apart hearts and holy hands, yeah, you come. But there's terms for your coming. And I find that very, very, very intriguing. And we're going to pick up in verse 5. And now, even in verse 4, okay? I'm just going to, I'm going to blow through this. Thus the thing was right in the sight of the king and all of the assembly. It wasn't just King Hezekiah's decree. There was something of agreement and unity of an actual body of people who said, you know what? Yes and amen. They don't deserve to come. They're vile. They're murderers. 
They killed my brother too, Hezekiah. But you know what? They're just like me. They're just like us. And what did we just say? God has prepared something for us and we rejoice. May that be for them too. May it not, oh God, be limited to just me and my people. So something in the entire assembly, they got it, y'all. Can we do that today? And literally desire the absolute best for the others that are in our sphere of influence or in the past of our lives or in our present or in our future that have wronged us or they're in a different sect of Christianity than me or in a different denomination or if they're whatever we want to call them. Can we come together as an assembly of God and say, hey, it is good with us that the invitation goes out because those people are just like me. They are us and we are them and our only hope is to come back together and remember and repent and turn and consecrate ourselves. It's the only hope for any of us. So yes, may it be good for them to come. So it was right in the sight of the king and of all of the assembly. So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation through all of Israel from Beersheba to Dan and then that they should come to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not celebrated it in great numbers as it was prescribed. So the couriers went through all of Israel and Judah with the letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the commands of the king, saying, Sons of Israel, okay, listen to what he tells them, y'all. And try to search for something offensive in here. If you got a letter like this, ask yourself, wow, well, what would I do with that? Because I'm telling you, that is what's going out today. I'd like to say I'm extending you a letter, an invitation, and this is what it says. Do not be like your fathers. Do not be like your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers, so that God made them a horror as you see. Don't stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, that his burning anger may turn away from you, meaning it's already there. For if you return to the Lord... Your brothers, your sons, they will find compassion before those who led them captive. And they will return to the land. For the Lord your God, He's what? He's gracious. He's compassionate. He will not turn His face away from you if you return to Him. 
So this letter goes out. Imagine being an Israelite, reading a letter from the people of Judah, saying, come, you know what Passover is. We're going to celebrate it, and you're invited. It's not been celebrated. It's not been held rightly. It's not been according to how it was written, how it, how it was prescribed. Oh yeah, and by the way, stop being like your fathers who were so rebellious. Don't be like them anymore. Don't be so hard-hearted. But yield to the Lord. And if you do, He will hear and He will turn. And the people had to hear that. And for any of those who had ears to hear and receive that, I'm sure they remembered, oh yeah, that is the pattern of Yahweh. That is the pattern of Yahweh God with His people. Restoration. Restoration. The pattern of God towards His people who turn to Him. So the couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, and they laughed. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. As these couriers went out with the invitation, a lot of people laughed. Said, you've got to be kidding me. Are you joking? You want us to come there and do what? Nevertheless, though, verse 11, some men humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. So we have all these things. We could start naming one, two, three, four. The call to consecrate. The call to clean out the house of the Lord. The, restore, the restoration of worship. The lying prostrate on the floor again and saying, Oh God, forgive us for we've been wretched before your eyes. You haven't even been able to look upon us. We've been a scorn, a shame to your name. But we're here. We come. We bring, bring sacrifices. Okay, Passover. Y'all, we're going for it. Okay, yes, Passover. We, as the land of Judah, we're going to do it. Oh, but it seems good to the king, and then it seems good to us. Oh, God, bring them in. Bring the other people in. We don't care what they've done. We don't care who they are. May we not be limited by who they are and what we see and what we know. Because it's what we see and what we know of ourselves, and we have seen you receive us back unto yourself. So, oh, God, may it be true for the others to come in. So the letter goes out, and a few come. We don't know how many. Somebody may know. I don't. But nevertheless, some of the men came. And they humbled themselves as they came to Jerusalem. And then the people had one heart to do what was commanded by men according to the word of the Lord. Verse 12, 
And I just want to point out people weren't just like, eh, whatever y'all think, I don't care. That, that, that's such a, such a, I don't know, such a thing in the way the body functions today. Like, I don't know. What do I know? I don't know what God's saying. Y'all figure it out. They somehow got in one heart by God himself's help to decide on a matter completely free from judgment and offense. Literally in unity together. And we're not talking a dozen people now. We've got to do these things, y'all. We've got to be these people. Hezekiah saw these limitations, of course, in the people of Israel. But he knew what God desired. He knew it was God's seed. I believe he saw as Jesus sees. Hezekiah knew that there was a way back. One way. There was an opportunity to remember And a second chance opportunity is about to come upon us in chapter 30. Inclusion. Inclusion. Y'all, we've got to get this. The Ecclesia of, of God... His demonstration, His capital C church on the natural earth has got to remember inclusion. It's so segregated. It's so divided. You did me wrong and I'm never, ever, ever going to forget it. The enemy has used this from the beginning to confuse and to divide and to separate And as a brother used yesterday in a conversation, to neuter the body of God. To neuter the people of God so that there's hardly any offspring. Where are the offspring? We've been neutered. We've been rendered incapable of multiplying the glory of God on the earth in bodies of flesh because we're so divided. There's no intimacy anymore, y'all. There's no procreating. Can a lone single man reproduce himself in his prayer closet with Jesus and his personal relationship with Jesus? Where is the offspring? Where is the, the, the multiplication of the kingdom of God on the earth? In men. I would say it's buried within this truth. Of the Messiah-esque qualities that Hezekiah said as mediator between God and man. Saying if we keep the commands and reinstate his ways and statutes. And approach him according to his prescribed way which has been abandoned and forgotten as we see in the Passover. He will hear us. If we return, He will show us compassion. But we must return according 
to his ways. So again, the invitation goes out. Who will come? Who will come? Inclusion. Come, return, child of God. Come in. Join me as we go side by side, arm in arm, as desperate people in need of forgiveness and restoration and purpose and identity. Come, let's go to the house of the Lord together. Let's go in, brother. Let's consecrate ourselves and go in to the house of the Lord again. Part four, we'll continue this theme. Amen.